Chapter 10. Grab a Cab Eamon decided on sushi for lunch and sat at the bar of his favorite Japanese restaurant in the Buckhead neighborhood of Atlanta. He finished off his last piece of amachi talking to Quan on his phone. His cell phone was glued to his ear, and it was starting to get hot as he listened to Quan ramble on about the same stuff they had been talking about for the last few months. Mainly, when they would be back in Vegas, how much they hated Miami, and why Colonel Nathan Rhodes had been so quiet lately. Eamon didn't have much to add, so he grunted occasionally and focused on his sushi. He'd been cooped up with Quan in Jack and Luke's Miami condo for over a month and decided he needed a break. Using his parents as an excuse, he rented a car and made the nine-hour or so trip to Atlanta, enjoying the solitude and freedom to listen to his own playlist without interruption. No question, the trip was worth it, helping to clear his mind and allowing for some quality time with his parents. Even helping his father, a minister for 40 years, with routine maintenance around the church had proved satisfying compared to the past weeks of doing nothing. It was his last day in Atlanta, and he'd grown a little weary of his mom's deep-fried cooking. After just a few days, he was already feeling the extra pounds from the big meals. He was convinced if he cut himself, he'd bleed gravy. A quiet sushi lunch was just what the doctor ordered. That was until Quan called. Twenty minutes into the call, Quan mercifully began to wind down. However, as Eamon listened, he couldn't help but notice how Quan's speech patterns changed when it was just them. They both grew up as sons of Protestant preachers. Quan, a freckle-faced Irish white kid raised in the heart of Detroit, and Eamon, a black kid whose father was the minister to one of the older, more affluent black churches in Atlanta. It was weird listening to Quan's adaptation of Detroit barbershop banter when he spoke with Eamon. They used to piss Eamon off, thinking he was trying to show the black man some love. However, over the years, he realized that as stiff and straight-laced as Quan was around the average white person, he was raised in a black neighborhood, and the relaxed, urban accent he used with Eamon was just Quan being himself. Accent aside, Quan was still an erotic smart dude who was not only socially awkward, but had shown incredibly poor judgment by experimenting on their employers, then being unable to lie about it, ultimately confessing it to Jack and Luke. Deep down, Eamon never understood that. But then again, Quan marched to the beat of his own on-the-spectrum drummer. Eamon paid the check and told Quan he'd be back the next day. It was a beautiful, crisp winter day in Atlanta. Blue skies and temperatures in the mid-50s after a few days of overcast, clammy weather. Over the past month, Eamon had grown out his beard and relaxed his wardrobe a bit, opting for a hoodie and a pair of jeans. If someone didn't know it was Eamon, they'd have never recognized him on the street. He walked slowly back to his dad's church past the smaller, older homes and the new huge ones that seemed to have appeared out of nowhere. New condos dotted the landscape as well, owing to the persistent wealth of the area, despite recent recessions. 
He was within three blocks of his father's church when he saw a familiar black ponytail attached to a woman he was positive he had seen before. She wore a black, form-fitting jogging suit, and when she turned slightly toward him, he damn near shit his pants. It was the woman he had seen at the Greenleaf facility a few months ago, the one who took off in the helicopter. A million thoughts began to race through his mind. He slowed slightly, concerned that if he made a sudden move or acted suspiciously, he'd bring too much attention to himself. He resisted the urge to stop and pretend to thumb through real estate magazine dispensers next to a coin-operated newspaper rack. He just didn't look the part. He decided to keep walking with prison eyes, meaning head up, not avoiding anyone's gaze, but not looking at anyone directly in the eye either. Serena moved off the sidewalk and back toward the condo entrance to grab her bags after hailing a cab. Eamon breathed a sigh of relief, glancing at the cab casually in an effort to remember the number. As he turned his head, he found himself on a collision course with a tall, blonde woman sporting a noticeable limp. He quickly stopped to let her by as she moved toward the cab. He saw her cut his eyes at him in a way that looked to be a not-so-subtle, what the fuck you looking at? Shit, 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 he thought to himself, quickly averting his gaze from Beth. Don't do anything stupid, he thought. After running through a boatload of scenarios in 20 milliseconds, he opted for his super thug persona and gave her his best Mike Tyson impression. Excuse me, he said, stepping aside and keeping his pace steady. He resisted the urge to turn around and see if she was staring at him, his hearing hypersensitive, listening for the sound of footfalls coming after him, readying to haul ass and start weaving at the slightest sound. Luckily, there was none of that, and he quickly turned down the first street he came upon, a parking garage alley on the side of the condo. He quickly ducked behind a concrete pillar in the event that Beth was following him. He stood, barely breathing, for a few minutes before poking his head around the column to see if she was there. Nothing. He pulled his phone out of his pocket and called Quan. You're not going to believe this. I literally just ran into Beth, Eamon shouted. Beth who? Quan asked, confused. How many Beths do you know, dumbass? Beth, queen of the damned. You know, Jack's old girlfriend who tried to kill me. It was her, no question. She's with a chick from the weed factory, Serena, what's her name? The one that helped Beth get away, Eamon said. No way, Quan replied casually. Fuck you and you no way. I'm telling you that crazy bitch is here right around the corner, Eamon said. What are they doing? Quan asked in a childlike way. Getting into a cab. Eamon quickly gathered his wits about him. I got the cab number. It's NV35T. It's a yellow cab, he blurted. Can you track it? He could hear Quan on the other end, mouthing the number to himself again and clicking the keys on his keyboard. Uh, maybe. Are they still there or have they left already? Quan asked. No clue, Eamon said excited. I'm too damn scared to look. Dude, you have to. Go find out. Quan implored. Oh, man, Eamon whined. 
He snuck to the edge of the building and looked down the street toward the entrance, just in time to see Serena Green jump in the cab after Beth. The cab drove away quickly, giving Eamon no time to duck out of sight. He pulled his head down at the last minute, trying to avoid Serena's gaze as the cab drove by. They just left. Go do your thing, man. Call me if you think you can track them. I'm going to go try to get a car, Eamon said. He ran the remaining three blocks to his father's church, entering through the side door, letting it slam behind him. He almost ran past his father, who was speaking with one of the regular church ladies. Eamon quickly apologized for interrupting and asked to borrow the car. His father gave him a what-the-fuck look, edited for church, tossed Eamon the keys, and got back to the business of ministering without any additional drama. Were you able to track them? Eamon shouted at Quan on the phone, running a yellow light, trying to get back to the place where he saw Beth and Serena last. I can't track them, Quan said. Don't fuck with me now. Come on, we're going to lose them. I'm not effing with you, Quan said, still having too much Jesus left in his system to repeat the F word. I literally don't have time to track and hack a cab company, and most cabs are so old they don't have GPS or LoJack. Drivers just use their cell phones. But I got you something better, Quan said. Heyman was starting to slump in his seat before he heard what sounded like hope. Well, tell me, Eamon replied. Ah, I did it old school. I called the dispatcher, told him I left my wallet in the cab, and then I had to have it back within 20 minutes. That I could meet the cab driver wherever he was going, Quan said. Well, where are they going? Eamon interrupted. The airport, Quan replied. Shit, that's no help. Atlanta's airports is one of the biggest in the world. Amy could feel the last bit of hope slipping through his hands. I may have a way. I gave the dispatcher your number. When he calls, just find out what terminal he dropped them off at, Quan suggested. How the hell am I supposed to do that? You'll figure it out. If you do it, then I think I can get into the airport's closed-circuit TV. I trapdoored it about 18 months ago for that project that we did with Aerojet, Quan said. Eamon felt his heart racing as he pushed his father's Chrysler faster than it had ever been driven. He and Quan had been sitting on their asses for two months with nothing to do, and now he spotted Beth. This was big. Eamon was on the interstate near the airport exit when his phone rang. The cab driver quickly told him he had performed a quick search of the cab and hadn't found a wallet. Eamon quickly fabricated a story, telling the driver that the dispatcher had it wrong, that his girlfriend accidentally packed his wallet and the cab driver had just driven them to the airport. He described Beth and Serena in detail, as well as where he'd picked them up and told them their phones were off and he couldn't reach them. Eamon quickly asked what terminal the cab driver had dropped them off so he could have them paged over the intercom. Apparently, he sounded believable. Terminal B, the cab driver said. He quickly called Quan with the information. Okay, let me see. Give me a few minutes. I'll see what I can do and call you back, Quan said. Eamon pulled into short-term parking and waited for Quan's call. After 15 minutes, he grew impatient and walked into the terminal, 
It looked like someone had kicked over an anthill. There were so many people. He stared at the mass of humanity, all moving quickly, trying to catch their flights, and realized how futile it was to think he could spot them in a crowded airport. He wouldn't be able to follow them if he actually spotted them anyway. He didn't have a ticket to get past security. His phone rang, and he quickly picked up Quan's call. Anything? Eamon asked. What were they wearing? Quan asked quickly. Eamon thought hard. Beth had a long wool coat on and jeans. Serena had a black running outfit on. The line was quiet for two minutes. Amy could hear Quan tapping the computer keyboard and breathing heavily in the background. Found them, Quan said triumphantly. They just finished going through security. Oh, shit, Eamon asked, genuinely surprised. Yep, Quan replied. Hang on, I'll try to figure out how to follow them to their gate. You are a freaking genius, you pale white bastard, Eamon said, unable to contain himself. Ten minutes later, the excitement had worn off. They're ordering that the food court looks like Chick-fil-A. I think Beth's going to get a salad, Quan said. Eamon's eyes rolled uncontrollably in their sockets. For the love of God, man, I don't care if they get chicken or salad. Where are they, he asked. They're sitting down eating. Sorry, Quan stuttered. Beth didn't get a salad. Uh, she got the chicken, he continued, oblivious to the fact that what they were eating was irrelevant. Next time I see you, I am kicking your pasty white ass. Call me when they move, Eamon said. Eamon sat in the food court just outside security check and sipped a beer. The phone finally rang and Quan sounded as if he was having an aneurysm. I followed them to the gate, but the, the camera angle sucked. I couldn't get anything. I tried every camera and couldn't see the destination. I'm sorry, man, Quan said, speaking rapidly. Hold on, Eamon said as he put his beer down and stared at the huge departure and arrival board 20 feet away. What gate did you say you followed them to? D-18, Quan replied. Eamon quickly scanned the board. There were hundreds of flights, but within a minute he had found it. They're going to New York. LaGuardia. Call Jack and Luke, he said.